enterprise architecture has long meant taking a pile of components and figuring out creative ways to reliably and efficiently put them to work in your data center. Over the past half decade, solution vendors have abstracted away the architecture and offer up full infrastructure stacks. But hey, where's the fun in that? In this episode, join the Datanauts as we lock photon torpedoes at the infamous Space Beast, known as Converged Infrastructure. As always, podcast listeners, I'm Chris Wall at Chris Wall on the Twitters, and welcome you to another episode of the Data Knots. Joining me, as always, is my snazzy co-host and partner in crime, Ethan Banks. I love being snazzy. That's awesome. And I am snazzy today. I have a zoot suit on. I got a sweet hat that matches. I'm rocking the tie. I am snazzy all the way. That is an utter lie. I'm not wearing any of those things. <laughs> I was going to say, I kind of want the zoot suit photo. That's <laughs> pictures or it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, it, it didn't happen. So what are we talking about today, Ethan? This is about converged infrastructure, which is a follow-up to the first show we did on hyper-converged infrastructure. So I guess we're going to have to get that out of the way right out of the gate. The distinction between hyper-converged infrastructure and just plain old boring converged infrastructure. And uh, before we get into that, why don't we uh, introduce our snazzy guest? So joining us today is, I mean, everyone knows who he is, but I'll, I'll do a poor introduction and then he can say more about himself. Stuart Miniman, otherwise known as at Stu on the Twitters. Stu, how's it going today? Hey, Chris and Ethan, thanks so much for having me. Right on. So why are you the expert on converged infrastructure? How do you, weren't you at a a VCE thing recently? Wasn't that uh, what I heard you were doing? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, boy, first of all, you throw that expert word. Uh, (laughs) I I, I don't remember a certification or a group. I mean, you and I, Chris, are both V experts. At least we've been grandfathered into that one for a while. But uh, yeah, I've been covering converged infrastructure for quite a while. I've been an analyst for five years. And I tell most people, I, I probably started covering converged infrastructure back when the early blade servers uh, came out, which started to blur some of the lines between compute storage and networking. So it's an area I've kept an eye on for a long time, written a lot about it, and uh, talked to a lot of users that have been using these technologies. So back to kind of Ethan's thought there around the differences. I mean, is it just that one has the word hyper in it and the other doesn't? Or what is the difference between hyper-converged infrastructure and just, I guess, what did you say, plain old boring converged infrastructure? (laughs) Yeah. So, um, you know, I really like the conversation you had with uh, Scott Lowe, who actually wrote for Wikibon for a couple of years. So we, we've had lots of articles on Wikibon and talked to practitioners, you know, what is the difference between converged infrastructure and hyperconverged? And part of it is, you know, just marketing, as, as you guys discussed on the, on the previous episode. And some of it is that hyperconverged is usually a single, uh, you know, solution that was designed to be for convergence as opposed to kind of the traditional old, you know, almost legacy convergence, if you will, uh, was taking a bunch of individual components, putting them together in some type of solution, usually with some, you know, management and orchestration software and selling a, a solution that has a bunch of individual components in it, as opposed to just a, you know, box or piece of software that was built just for convergence. So some companies have said that hyperconvergence is like convergence 3.0, um, the genesis of the term. Uh, I've, I've heard a few different people claim, uh, you know, ownership of that, but it was th- these new companies like, you know, scale computing, Nutanix and SimpliVity were the earliest instantiations. And, and some people looked at it as a joke between kind of semi-converged, fully converged, hyper-converged, super mega-converged. So, uh, <laughs> whichever way you want to look at it, a term is a term, uh, converged and hyper-converged. The commonality between them is a much simpler architecture, simpler way to consume and use infrastructure than what I had done in the past. 
Well, could, could we make a point of differentiation around uh, the storage integration in converged versus hyperconverged, or not really? Um, yeah, I, I think, Ethan, that's a really good point. Uh, when I've talked about hyperconverged, uh, I say that hyperconverged, which is kind of a subset of software-defined storage, uh, I think, as Scott said, uh, you know, all hyperconverged has software-defined storage, but not all software-defined storage is necessarily hyperconverged. Hyperconverged does not have storage as a separate storage array. So there's no SAN and there's no component that you could look at and say that's storage because hyperconverged has the compute and the storage all kind of munched together in some various format as opposed to converged. Typically has a storage array, some servers, maybe a little bit of networking depending on how much you have in there and, and wraps all those together. So um, I could actually carve out and differentiate and say, oh, okay, here's an IBM SVC in here or an HP 3PAR or an EMC storage array, uh, for example, as pieces inside a converged solution. Fair enough. And when I was thinking around converged, I was thinking two different kind of things in my head, right? I think Cisco UCS converged two food groups being compute and network, and that is marketed as kind of a converged solution. And then I kind of counterpoint that to VCE where they're taking Cisco UCS, Cisco Nexus switches, VMware hypervisor, and EMC storage kind of packaging all that up into a quote-unquote product and saying that is also converged infrastructure. Are they both kind of right at the same time? I guess there are varying differences of converged, right? Sure. Uh, you know, if, if you take, uh, you know, the Oracle stack, for example, Oracle takes not only, you know, the hardware components, but all the way up the stack, the full red stack, including the database. And here's, you know, your Oracle Exa, Oracle Exa family. Um, so, you know, what Part of the stack goes into the block uh, is always up for debate when you're talking about converged infrastructure and how fully integrated, how fully converged VCE differentiates themselves by they actually ship, you know, a product out of the box, something that you order a SKU and it ships out of the factory and there is your V block. Uh, pretty much everything else on the market, it's something that is design, architected, solution built in. Um, and is either assembled at the customer site or, uh, you know, somebody like Avnet will put those together and ship it out. But it's not something that you order as a single SKU. So there, it's some differentiation as to how flexible it is, how you order it, um, and how it goes together. Uh, you know, VC had this fun little thing where they had a uh, Lego set. And it was the, you know, big black block that was a V block. And there was nothing that you had to put together. And then there was this bag of, you know, different components that you could build an architecture. I can tell you my son really enjoyed putting together the <laughs> reference architecture. There wasn't much he could do with the V block because yeah. it was just a big block. <laughs> I, I remember that. I think Jeremiah Dooley was handing them out uh, at PEX a few years ago. And it was fun because the reference architecture had the hoses and everything. And I had a similar thing, although my wife took the Lego set and I think she enjoyed <laughs> it for a while just because it, it was kind of fun to build the reference architecture. But at the same time, if you abstract that out into what it would take in a data center, that's a lot of time and effort to have that quote unquote fun. Yeah, absolutely. There's the, you know, time, effort and knowledge to put something together or to, you know, bake that full stack. And, you know, there, there's no such thing as a free lunch in IT. Um, it either has to happen in the factory. You have to have a, you know, uh, somebody that's selling it to you that does it or you need to do it yourself. So even the fully hyperconverged environment, there's still some testing that you're going to need to do for your application stack. Uh, so it's just what piece of it do I do? What piece of it does whoever I bought it from do? And what piece of it do they do at the manufacturers? Um, I, I think the line between converged and hyperconverged is going to blur a lot over the next year, especially you've got, you know, a lot of the big players that are quite aware that people are, you know, asking for hyperconverged and are going to offer pieces that meet that scenario. 
So that kind of leads into an interesting question because if I've got this, if I buy a, a V block to go to the VCE example, and it does all of these things for me, let's say my identity is that of an infrastructure engineer who's used to tuning all of this stuff, all of the servers and components to make my compute infrastructure work really well. Did that just get taken away from me if I put in a, a convergent infrastructure? What, what does my job look like? Yeah, so um, it, it it goes back to, you know, what do I do? What does my, you know, VAR do for me? And, and what does the manufacturer do? So absolutely, if, uh, you know, I can tell you the channel partners, when VCE first came out, they said, what do you mean you're going to rack and stack and cable that, um, you know, I made, you know, millions of dollars a year doing that. Um, and, you know, how do I make that margin back? Um, and even at the customer site, if my job was, you know, configuring LUN groups um, and setting up protection for certain things and, mm -hmm. You know, for some solutions today, you know, the storage just gets rid of that or the V-block gets rid of that. So absolutely, there's a shift of what skills I need to have, uh, you know, at the customer site. And what I really want to be able to do is understand, you know, what differentiates what I do inside IT. When we talk to CIOs today, our advice to them is always that you want to get rid of the undifferentiated heavy lifting. Um, because if you're doing something just because that's been my job for the last couple of years, that's not going to answer what the line of business is asking for. That's not going to help stop uh, certain business users from just saying, hey, I'm just going to go to Amazon or some other solution um, because that's quick and easy. Um, you know, IT's in the job of delivering applications and delivering value back to the user. So absolutely, there needs to be a shift in some of the roles. Most of the time, it doesn't mean that I need to, you know, bring something in and lay off my staff. It's reskilling. It's uh, giving people more time back to work on all those other important projects that they can never get to because they're too busy uh, <laughs> turning all those geek knobs and, uh, you know, trying to make those bespoke, you know, islands of infrastructure work just a little bit better because somebody says it wasn't working great. Yeah, that that is the truth. I think you really hit something important there when you said, you know, the job of IT is to deliver applications for the business. I, I, I captured that accurately, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I was talking to one startup uh, recently, uh, and they said, you've got, uh, you know, three groups inside of, you know, IT today. Uh, there's the group that does go, there's the group that does slow, and there's the group that does no. And you need to turn all of the slows and no's into goes. So <laughs> that's you know, catchy. It, yeah, it, it, was, it was a nice line I, I, I liked. Uh, so I'm uh, stealing that one. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, IT, you know, I, I worked with IT organizations, uh, you know, when I was working for a large company. And if, if I had to, you know, build my own tools group or, you know, spin up something on my own website because IT told me no or told me it would take a year to get there, we kind of did it ourselves. Uh, and boy, was that painful. So it would be much better if we could go to IT and the answer could be yes, or here's how we can enable, enable you with other tools. You know, boy, if, if you tell me that I can deploy something in my environment that frees up, you know, X percentage of my operations team to go work on, you know, more business valuable activities rather than firefighting or, you know, trying to tweak what I already have, you know, that should be a no brainer. Yeah, and I'm interested, since you are a, a very well-known and senior analyst uh, with the Wikibon organization, where is converged infrastructure kind of in the life cycle of things? Uh, I think Acadia became VC. That's probably a six- or seven-year-old story. So to me, it feels we're at the maturity stage or at least getting towards that point. Kind of where do you feel this is at? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I've written a number of articles, uh, you know, back the Acadia VCE days. Actually, so, you know, most of you know, I think before I joined Wikibon five years ago, I was at EMC for 10 years before that. 
Uh, so I, I had a little bit to do with some of the architecture of, of the V-Block, uh, which was fun to work on when I was in the CTO office there. Um, one of the toughest pieces, to be honest, Chris, was that the technology was all there and to put all the pieces together. But um, in networking, we always talk, it was the layer eight, nine activities. So the go-to-market around how do I sell something that isn't just storage and isn't a server and it puts all the pieces together, getting the finance people in line to say, oh, okay, you can have budget for this is, is fine. Um, the operations around who's going to manage this and how do I interact and uh, what, what goes around it? Um, you know, how does the channel deal with all those things? So um, that took a good, you know, I don't know, 18 to 24 months from when Acadia first launched to get through that first, what is it? How do I consume it? Um, I mean, Acadia was originally going to be I, I just come to, you know, the, the EMC joint venture thing and consume it as a service. Um, and it turned out that customers didn't necessarily want to buy it at that time as a service. They wanted to buy a block of infrastructure and deploy it on-prem. Um, some of those were service providers. Some of those were enterprise customers. But, you know, that's how they wanted to consume it. And so, you know, VCE said, great, you want to buy our product? You know, we'll, we'll go that way. Um, the maturity is, you know, there from a product standpoint. We are still relatively in the early days of converged infrastructure adoption. So, you know, order magnitude, if you take just servers and storage together, it's, you know, over uh, a trillion dollars worth of infrastructure that's bought on, on a yearly basis of, you know, server and storage. Converged infrastructure is, you know, I don't know, in the order to it of six to eight billion dollars. So when you talk about what percentage of IT is bought, out of servers and storage that is in a converged infrastructure, it's still in the single digits. And if you take hyperconverge, which is a subsegment of the converged infrastructure space, it's an order of magnitude less. So if I said it, you know, I don't know, six to eight billion dollars for converged infrastructure, hyperconverge was, you know, roughly, I don't know, six, seven hundred million dollars uh, last year. So to, to me, that sounds like, I mean, this technology is not especially new, not some, not especially not the converged solution. I mean, the hyper-converged stuff is you know, is a bit newer, newer startups uh, that have entered the market. But, you know, VBlogs have been around a while, so is UCS, uh, for sure. So when someone finally makes the decision to buy converged, what are they getting rid of? So the, the discussion, actually, Chris and I were having a good discussion about this recently. It's There's kind of the day one activities and the after day one activities. So the, the, the low-hanging fruit for all of the converged solutions is I can get it in my environment much faster and get up and running. So uh, it kind of boggled my mind that if you talk, when, when I make the decision to purchase something and how long it takes it to get shipped to me, configured, you know, put in my environment, get the applications loaded and, you know, then say, okay, this is fully up and running. Best case scenario in the typical legacy days was, you know, often, and I mean, Chris, keep me honest, it was usually like three months you know, to be between yeah, when would... you made that decision and when you say, okay, we're all done, we're back to running in production. There's oftentimes it's on the books, you know, for over a month or so between when it hit my dock and, you know, when it's in and running. And there's lots of reasons for that. And, you know, when do I work it in? How do I, you know, move it in? Migrations are a huge hidden expense. I've heard talk that, you know, there are some people in the storage world whose whole lives are spent around migrations. Uh, from Wikibon's research, we found that if you take a typical just storage array, in the lifetime of that storage device, you spend 30% of the total cost on migration. So getting 
on that storage device and then at the end getting it off that storage device and everything that goes along with that. You know, 30% of the total cost of that environment. And that's one of the huge benefits of if you go a hyperconverged environment, we think that you don't need to migrate anymore because once I've got a pool of resources, I move something in, I add new components, I can pull something out later. And that is really kind of that, that storage management layer and the way that I pool storage. Standard traditional converged infrastructure might not be quite the pool of resources, but there are management tools that are going to allow me to treat things in the same way. Um, so it, it might still be that I have standalone storage devices, but if software can manage how uh, I provision my storage, how I layer it uh, through my entire environment and make that moving uh, of the storage uh, much more seamless, I can treat it you know, more like that pool of resources, if you will, that vision that VMware has of the software-defined data center. Um, where everything's a pool. Because today, if I come up with my yearly budget and I buy something and I bring it in and I have to manage it, I have to go through upgrades and eventually I need to pull it out. All of those components of, of, along the life cycle are painful in causing me to have people spending time doing it, which really doesn't add a whole lot of value back to the business. Hmm. You know, e Ethan, there's today not a ton of networking inside, you know, the traditional converged infrastructure or even hyper-converged environment. You know, that there's some storage companies that are doing some deeper integrations with the network side. And of course, uh, you know, companies like Cisco that are trying to push that deeper. But it is mostly a compute and storage thing that we're doing with and tends to be orthogonal to most of the discussions we've had around things like SDN or even how does it integrate with cloud is a networking challenge and a real opportunity for some of the things going forward. No, I, I would agree with that. My experience doing uh, networking for some hyperconverged infrastructure, this happened to be Nutanix block, was pretty much all they wanted you to do was plug in the 10 gig interfaces, plug in the 1 gig interfaces, assign them some VLANs on the trunk with 802.1Q, done. That was it. There was no integration. It was, we're going to tag traffic as it, as it heads out into the physical network infrastructure. Nothing really beyond that. Yeah. And one of, one of the things we've been poking at is, you know, people will say that, you know, VBlock is this, you know, giant thing there that how can that compete against the tiny little things like the hyperconverge that can grow? Well, it reminds me of the arguments we've been having for the last few years of, you know, do I buy a big chassis switch or do I buy all these spine and leaf things and put them all together? So um, if I need, you know, in networking, if I need a thousand ports, there's a lot of different ways I can build that. Same thing on storage is if, if I need a lot of storage, Sometimes it's, it's, you know, easier just to buy, you know, a big thing uh, that can do it rather than kind of growing and scaling off of something small. So, Ethan, the takeaway I've gotten so far is that we're just trying to make things simple, whether or not the solution is hyper-converged, regular-converged, super-mega-crazy-converged, whatever it is. You know, we're trying to make something you can simply consume and deploy into the data center. Kind of where's your mind at? Stu pointed out that the market penetration for conversion infrastructure is actually kind of, of low. If you look at the market as a whole, the dollars that are spent on compute infrastructure, and then you take as a percentage the amount of dollars that are spent on converged infrastructure, it's, it's just quite a bit lower than I thought that it would be. Uh, Stu had said single digits. And to me, because of the point that you made, Chris, about simpler infrastructure, easier to manage, I would have thought the uptake in the market was higher, and the companies that I've been dealing with lately seem to be headed in that direction. And so um, I was just a little surprised by that low number. I think once we look into more of the practical applications, it, it might clear things up a little bit. 
Let's get into some practical applications. Why do I want to use converged infrastructure? And still, I'll just I'll just start off with a really simple question. We've been building our compute infrastructures with separate pieces and parts for a long time. We know how to do it. We know how to stand up storage networks. We know how to build uh, servers and get them doing what we need them to do. So why don't we just keep doing that as opposed to, uh, to I mean, what's the big driver here for converged? Yeah, uh, great question, Ethan. So you know, I, I look back to it. You know, IT was really good at building infrastructure for an application at a time. You almost make a, a temple for it. It's, you know, say, you know, here's, here's my stack. Let me build it up. Let me optimize it. It was a wonderful bespoke silo of infrastructure. And as my performance needs change, my storage needs change, uh, you know, I would adjust it. Virtualization really changed the game for us because, you know, when I virtualize, virtualize my environment, uh, it's not just one application, but I've got a whole number of applications. And as we know, we've spent much of the last decade, uh, I guess you'd say, fixing the challenges that virtualization did to both the storage and the networking environment. So if if my virtualization environment is going to you know grow rather fast, it's going to have a lot of different applications. How do I make an environment that can move with uh, the virtual environment, and that's where converged infrastructure came in to help solve some of that problem. It was actually, uh, if you look at, you know, Cisco UCS was built around try- trying to solve that problem uh, for part of the stack. So I, I guess I'll start th- start there. That uh, you know, it's, virtualization was the problem, and I want an easier infrastructure that was built for virtualization. And that's where uh, almost all of the you know converged solutions that hit the market targeted in the early days. Well, expand on that a little bit, either one of you two guys for me, because this is actually a little bit mysterious to me from a certain point of view. Okay, virtualization, if I'm starting to run virtual machines, I've abstracted away my hardware underneath, uh, I can run those across a variety of different hosts, say I'm in an ESXi environment uh, with vCenter, it's really easy to move stuff around. To me, the hypervisor's abstracted it all the way. What, what is converged infrastructure helping me with there? What are the challenges that, uh, that, that virtualization created? Okay, so so one of the pieces, and Chris, I welcome you, you jumping in because you live this on a you know day to day basis. Um, but you know, from a VM standpoint, I can spin up a VM really quick. But if I have to wait for somebody to deploy a solution um, and you know get it up and running, you know that that's going to slow me down. So if we talked about those day one items of how do I get it in fast, stand it up, and understand what it's going to do for a certain class of workloads, uh, that's converge infrastructure is doing that much faster than if I had to, on each application, sort that out, or if I didn't have some table I could look at to figure out how to build it. As in, the bare metal's got to be up and ready to do something in service, uh, and you'll be in service quickly, is really what you're getting at. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that's a big piece of it. Again, having done a lot of architecture for the enterprise, really a lot of what I do is assessing and figuring out where risk is. You know, it's, it's kind of a risk assessment and circumvention kind of game. So when I look at converged infrastructure, and I'm hearing what you're saying, Stu, and kind of where you're at as well, Ethan, I hear that this is a good way to potentially assess or mitigate a lot of the risk involved with getting my team together, potentially having to deal with the silo wars, the layer eight and nine problems, and saying, we're going to buy infrastructure as a block. It's already been validated. The architecture is done. I don't have to worry about that. Whether or not I'm looking at a custom-created solution like you know the status quo, let's build it ourselves, or if I'm looking at the next generation of architecture where maybe that's hyper-converged, where I may have a mindset that, oh, that's too new, it's too risky, blah. You know, one of those two things is going to be potentially more risky than buying something that's already pre-validated to work in my data center. Now, I have done some some reading on uh, VCE and 
that is a big part of their value proposition, as I understand it, is an incredible list of uh, uh, we've tested this, we've proven this, we know this revision of driver on this particular firmware on this subset of componentry within the V-block is certified to work with all the other little pieces and parts that are within this system. And it's quite a quite a big thing for them to deliver that sort of a platform. But but as you say, it, it gets all that risk out of the way. Yeah, and your trading flexibility is kind of the, the thought in my mind. You're saying, okay, I'm going to take fewer options, right? You're, you're limited to a certain compute platform, a certain network platform, et cetera. But you're going to know that those pieces work, and that's a pretty big piece of day two operations, right? There's actually a lot of time spent, maybe multiple weekends, multiple evenings, travel, the expenses of of doing travel to keep your infrastructure up to date. Or you've got places that just say, screw it, I'm not going to do the upgrades because they're too hard and it's going to break something. It's working right now. I don't want to deal with it. So you're either helping mitigate that risk or empowering people to do those upgrades. Yeah, no, that, that's a great point. It was uh, actually, I was at the VCE event recently with the analysts that they did last year at the event. There was an analyst from uh, a, a very large analyst firm that you guys like to make fun of um, who argued for 10 minutes with the VCE people because he said, Cisco networking people never upgrade their code. And they were like, is that no. true, Ethan? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, you ever upgrade your code? Right. I mean, yeah. Ethan, for the most part, it goes in. And most, most of the time, once you've wired and everything, you know, don't breathe on that because, you know, you're going to break something. Yeah, there's multiple problems with, uh, with upgrading network code. And uh, yeah, one of them is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, just leave it alone. You know, and the, the other is if you do have to schedule it, if you do have to do an upgrade, you just have to schedule downtimes. So there's a service interruption. And then three, there's risk involved. Like you, you guys are pointing out. Yeah, don't breathe on it. You upgrade to a new version of uh, Cisco IOS, let's say. Is there a memory leak now? Is there, you know, who knows what could happen that could introduce instability into the network infrastructure? So, yeah, that's that's a fair point that they make. One of those dirty little secrets secrets about networking. And on the storage side, there are so many dependencies between the storage array, the operating system, and potentially even the application sitting on top of it. Uh, you know, if, if you've got some Oracle database, uh, you know, there there could be, you know, some page file or something that has a dependency on, you know, the microcode of the storage array. So what VCE promises is when they look at that entire stream and if they will keep you, you know, up relatively up to date, you follow that stream uh, so that, you know, if you upgrade, you can upgrade that full stack. And that includes, you know, the Cisco networking components that are in there. So, you know, the analyst eventually backed down because we had customers there that were like, oh, yeah, I never used to upgrade my iOS, but now it's part of this solution. So, by the way, I think one of the things we've been talking, we keep talking about VCE. There are a lot of other converged infrastructure yeah, solutions yeah, out there. Point. But, you know, I, I mean, Chris, one of the things that I don't see today is none of the rest of them really treat convergence as a product. They treat it as kind of a solution set uh, reference architecture where, hmm. you know, here are some best practices, but they don't give you, you know, that rigidity of this is what we absolutely know that works. And, you know, I, I think it's one of the things that's actually slowed down some of that adoption of converged infrastructure. If you look at, I heard Ethan saying that adoption was a little bit low overall. And if you look at Cisco UCS environments, there's a whole lot of those that are going into converged infrastructure. But the rest of the server uh, marketplace tends not to have as much convergence. And part of that is because they haven't been baked into stacks that are as tightly focused. And therefore, if they're not as tightly regulated, they're probably not offering as much value into reducing risk and making it simpler uh, to deploy. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've I've worked alongside of folks that are looking at you know such as uh, things like HP's Converge system or cloud system. You know, Hitachi has the UCP. Dell had I think the VStart. I don't know if that's even still around or not, but that was definitely one issue. Another issue was that the stacks in a lot of cases. I think Hitachi is probably the exception was a full provided by one vendor kind of stack. You know, you're putting all your eggs in one basket. I, I could see some value there. There's definitely some value if you think of one vendor support and potential interoperability. But we all know these large vendors, you know, like HP and uh, Cisco and Hitachi and stuff, each business unit is kind of its own company. They're not necessarily married at the hip building these converged infrastructure stacks. And for some reason, I think maybe what you said is in- impacting that in that it's not quite so rigid and some of the rigidity of the solution provides the value. Maybe they're a little too flexible and then you've got to support four hypervisors and three types of compute and 900 different configs. And then how do you productize that? Yeah, no, absolutely. So if you, if you look at the leaders in this space, Oracle has done a solid job building their whole stack because there's customers that buy Oracle and will be happy to buy that whole stack with them. Uh, you know, Cisco is by far the leader in the space with the solutions they've got with VCE, as well as NetApp with FlexBot has done a real solid job delivering, especially to the mid-market, you know, lots of solutions and they vary quite a bit. And, uh, you know, if you take a company like IBM, IBM's not selling just the infrastructure uh, that often. I mean, they, they do offer the kind of pure system solution, but where they sell it is they offer the application, whether it's their DB2 or some of their analytics, and it's usually a power-based system then, uh, and they put that full stack together. So the one of the things I've been looking at the last couple of years is when the stack can go up into the application la- layer and pull the rest of that stack along with it, that's going to make it easier for the customer to deploy. Because if we're just looking at the infrastructure piece, well, what's going to sit on top of it and why, why is there some marrying between that application piece and the stack itself? Um, because you know Cisco uses the term application-centric infrastructure, but really what I want is I want my applications, and I guess eventually I've got to have that infrastructure deliver it in a way that makes sense. What about the converged stacks that are focused on a specific application? I'm thinking in my mind that's something like Exadata. You know, is there still life moving forward with these very application-specific stacks, or is that really, if you're not at the tip of the spear from an enterprise size, these are really outside your league anyways? Yeah, no, it, it's a great point there because, you know, one of the limitations is, you know, Oracle says you can run app other applications on it, but for the most part, you're buying that stack specifically for that application and you're not going to be throwing your random Linux workloads or, you know, Windows <laughs> workloads on top of it, <laughs> right? I got my you dev know, environment so, running on Exadata. Um, a real interesting one is I expect to see Microsoft showing up more this year. So they've been really oh. quiet in some of the you know, kind of, you know, Azure on-prem solutions or Hyper-V type architectures, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that Microsoft's going to come out with an evil rail competitor, but, uh, you know, Chris, we recently saw Nutanix making some uh, announcement with Microsoft, and, and I'm hearing some more in the industry about how Microsoft uh, is, you know, really stepping up its game to compete against VMware and help siphon off hypervisor clients as well as cloud clients. So, Stu, let me move the conversation ahead a little bit about and talk about scale. I mean, a lot of these solutions that we've talked about can can go small. They can go big. I know if you buy a V-Block, you can get some huge ones with massive amounts of power that fill up a whole rack and so on or more. How do you scale a convergent infrastructure? Yeah, uh, that, that's a good question. And I think one of the big differences you see between kind of the traditional converged infrastructure and what hyperconverged gives you is hyperconverged is typically built to be a distributed architecture. And so, you know, if I've got storage and compute together 
And I'm expecting it's going to be linking together in that environment. And there's a lot of difference between the various vendors in that environment, as opposed to converged infrastructure tended to be, you know, here's a rack that I built, but how do I tie together multiple racks, whether that be some kind of clustering or some type of external component that does that? There are some software solutions coming to market now that are going to allow my converged infrastructure to scale and grow a little bit more seamlessly. But converged infrastructure has tended to be more of a step function as opposed to hyperconverges, you know, much smaller increments that it builds up. It varies greatly by vendor, how much they can scale, how big they can get, um, and how many customers really need big. I mean, it just, if you talk the storage world in general, you know, what is scale out? Um, because, you know, we've had scale out architectures for many years. There's, uh, there's solutions like Equalogic and Isilon that are great scale-out architectures. I look at scale-out as if I plug in a node and basically I plug in my power, I plug in my network, and it does the rest, that's a good scale-out architecture. But how far it scales and whether that fits into you know what percentage of the market is up for a lot of debate and varies greatly. It's something we've been looking a lot at, the uh, all-flash array markets, because some of them scale to like eight nodes, but that fits you know almost every customer on the planet today. Um, and some say they can do hundreds or thousands of nodes, um, but who really needs that? So um, it, it's, it, it varies greatly. I, I mean, I haven't seen scalability be a limiting factor in converged infrastructure today, just because most of the blocks, as you said, have been kind of bigger chunks. Um, and it, it, there's just the question is the economics is if I fill up, you know, one block and then I add another and how much do I lose if I'm, you know, networking them together? Yeah, I don't know. Chris, anything you've run across in that space? Well, I would say the, the vendors tend to have smaller starting points. You know, usually it's scaling down that's a rough point. You know, you yeah. can't. Uh, it's difficult to pitch this for a remote office or a small. You know, perhaps you have a small implementation, in different geo. That may be more of a challenge. And I think the hyperconverge folks tend to fit in that niche pretty well. But definitely from a scale out perspective, there's ways that you can scale each food group. The storage and computing, for example, being different from one another. You don't have to just buy another one. But eventually you do get to a point where you've just maxed out the size of one of these. And that's typically, you know, almost a full row of gear. So the the scaling out doesn't seem to be the huge problem. It's more about starting with that initial footprint because you have to buy, you know, the full management stack, all of the infrastructure to run the network and the compute and the storage. And hopefully you're buying controllers for your storage that are large enough to scale to 13 cabinets or something like that. So that initial investment can be a bit heavy. But if you're planning to go that route anyways... I think the value is that they've already planned for that entire expansion process. You're usually not having to worry about what it's going to look like, you know, in year five. You're just having to figure out when to scale to that size. So here's a clarifying question. Now, we, we talked about hyperconverged on show one. And as we pointed out just a, a couple minutes ago, when you expand a hyperconverged infrastructure, it's, it's effectively a cluster. You add a new node into that hyperconverged cluster and you've just built capacity. You don't have to do a lot of magic or manage that individual node uh, especially. Converged infrastructure, are we talking about the same kind of a model here or is there now this new thing I just stood up that I need to somehow bring into my infrastructure and begin moving compute to it? Or do I stand it up and point it at the right thing and now it becomes part of a cluster that uh, is adding power? So let's say you install a converged infrastructure stack of some sort. You know, it's going to be its own island to begin with. You know, it's going to have its own vCenter if you're using a VMware flavor. And all of the compute and storage that are provided with the converged infrastructure stack are fed into that system. You know, when you scale it out, it's definitely not node-based. You know, you're adding blades in a lot of cases or rack mount servers and putting them into that management layer. Same for storage. You're usually adding disk shelves 
and putting that into some kind of storage pool. So it's kind of expanding out that particular stack in a modular way, but it's certainly not node-based. And in a lot of cases, the vendor doesn't want you consuming the resources within the stack externally to the stack. You know, some exceptions, if you're running a file server, something like that, you know, you have a file service running there, Isilon as an example. Sure, that's probably where your user shares or some kind of, you know, cardiology images are going. Everything can gain access to that. But you're not going to plumb your fiber channel SAN from your converged infrastructure stack into the rest of the environment in most cases. Hmm. Yeah, and the other thing I'll point out, uh, Ethan, you, you mentioned on the hyperconverged stuff, you said it was a cluster, and there's a little bit of a nuance between a kind of a cluster and a distributed architecture as to how it scales and how it manages uh, kind of the integrity of the, uh, of the pool, if you will. Oh, okay. So you're just making a distinction between, yeah, traditional clustering, or what I would think of as a cluster is, uh, so, so what is that nuance? It's a good point to bring up. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, a cluster usually has some kind of heartbeat in between it, you know, mm-hmm. measuring how, you know, resources are used between them, um, as opposed to, I mean, a real distributed architecture is it, it's doing a dispersion as to, you know, where data lives and, and how it's handling. Um, so, you know, one of the challenges we have, you know, with storage in an architecture like this is I don't necessarily know what node things are on um, and when I'm accessing it. So, you know, there's some pinning we have to do sometimes as to making sure I'm getting performance. Um, no, fair enough. I get, I get where you're going. Yeah. Just the distinction here that we're talking about is really, you know, uh, again, d- distributed architecture versus more generic clustering because of the things that you have to do to make a distributed architecture work the way it works in hyperconverged. Yes, you got it. Okay. So the takeaway I got from uh, from section two was kind of contrasting what I really thought the maybe the biggest advantage of converged infrastructure would be, which is ease of use. I'm thinking, all right, if I've got a sexy management layer that handles all of this CI for me, it's easier to deal with. I'm not looking at all the pieces and parts, and that would be wonderful. But the real thing that struck me as the, the, the big advantage here is risk mitigation. In other words, you just bought this system, and now you no longer have the risk of, will this storage component work with this server, will that work with this other thing at all these different driver revision levels and so on, because we've all been there, where you upgrade something and all of a sudden, now part of my dependency tree is broken. And so the risk mitigation element of CI was uh, was a huge takeaway. I love that you use sexy management, too. I was thinking about... You know, maybe some dancing going on. You got the data center guys <laughs> shaking their booty. That's right. In the data center. Where my head's at on this is that we talked about the rigidity of some of these solutions, that they're not just giving you every option under the sun. And I think that actually adds a lot of value. Not being allowed to do a million different combinations is what allows these solution providers that issue out converged infrastructure stacks the ability to offer greater support and ultimately lifecycle management. You know, they don't have to try to piece and part together every combination under the sun to validate it and test it. So I think that's a pretty cool takeaway around some of these solutions. So let's gaze into our crystal ball a little bit. We talked around a few different converged infrastructure stacks today. VBlock came up a lot. Who is doing CI right today? Who's worth taking a look at? This could be in terms of the success of market share, the customers that are praising the solution, valuation. Stu, take your pick, but who's kind of worth putting an eyeball upon? You know, when I look at kind of the winners today, uh, it's it's really been Cisco and Oracle. Uh, So Cisco, you know, partners with everybody under the sun. So it's funny how... 
how often uh, have we had the rumors that Cisco is going to buy a hyperconverged or, you know, really get into storage this year. But, uh, you know, I, I did a rundown. I actually did write a blog post uh, about just Cisco, because if you look, uh, you know, BCE did over $2 billion worth of revenue today, and that's all with Cisco. Uh, you know, FlexPod, I think, has done over $3 billion of cumulative revenue, all with Cisco. Uh, Hitachi has done a bunch with Cisco. Um, tons of startups from T-Gile, Tintree, Nimble, uh, Pure Storage, SolidFire, tons more have done lots of work with Cisco. And most of these are in what you call the converged infrastructure. So they've built a stack. Cisco UCS is, you know, a great solution for virtualization and therefore, you know, Cisco is by, by far the leader in most of the space. And Oracle's the other one. If you want, you know, an Oracle stack uh, and you want the full solution, you know, they've they've got a good solution. If your job is delivering, you know, Oracle applications, you know, why not just go to that one company? It's single throat to choke, as we talked about. Uh, it is high performance. It does what they want. Um, and yeah, hey, uh, often depending on what your licensing is, they might give you the hardware for free or might give you some discount on the software. Uh, so, you know, it's always good to negotiate with them. Outside of those two, you know, it's it's really, uh, you know, still pretty early and lots of opportunity for others to get into the environment. Uh, if you look at how, you know, various cloud environments are getting bought, many of them are buying some kind of converged solution today. So, uh, you know, VCE has done that. Uh, you've got companies like, you know, HP and IBM, they're building their stacks into cloud environments. So, you know, SoftLayer from IBM and HP Helion uh, are, are looking at how their infrastructure helps power their clouds. Uh, so, you know, th there, there's a lot going on there and, you know, lots of room for growth and, you know, room for, for players to kind of expand their role. All right, fair enough. But looking at the journey to converged infrastructure, hyper-converged infrastructure, where my mind is kind of curious is, are these just two forks in the road? Are these just different ways that you can do your infrastructure going down, you know, the next three, five years? Is there a fundamental huge difference between them? Could I potentially do both at the same time? Kind of, I'm having trouble differentiating one, one or the other as a zero-sum game. I feel like perhaps we could have both, or they're both going to iterate further along. Where's your head on this? Yeah. Um, and so first of all, it's still really early in the hyperconverged discussion. If, you know, we're uh, been shipping converged infrastructures now for, you know, I don't know, six, seven years now. Uh, and hyperconverged has only really been revenue for about, about the last two and a half to three years. You know, I see these two, uh, you know, merging down the line. Uh, you know, I won't say converging, but uh, there's definitely huge overlap. Um, and convergence is still growing at a pretty healthy clip. Um, and should stay ahead of the entire hyperconverged piece. But at least from Wikibon standpoint, we, you know, we do believe that it's the what we call server sand, which is not just hyperconverged, but other uh, architectures that pull compute and storage together. Uh, some of them might even be, you know, pulled further into the server. So uh, my, my CTO, David Floyer, wrote a piece called Flash as Memory Extension, which really focuses it more at kind of those HPC high-performance workloads, uh, you know, modern, uh, you know, things like Hadoop and, you know, modern databases that really need just ridiculous performance leveraging Flash uh, that gets as close to the, uh, the, the compute as possible. Um, so we see the line blurring between these two. And so hyperconvergence, uh, you know, should be eating into convergence, but convergence, you know, does eat a good part of the... Uh, entire uh, infrastructure workload. We had put out a, you know, forecast a couple of years ago that we said, you know, in, in the next kind of, you know, five to seven years that, you know, roughly two thirds of infrastructure in data centers will be 
bought in some kind of converged manner. Uh, so there, there's lots of room for what fits under that umbrella. Um, but it, it is definitely something that we're still in the early days of adoption. So realistically, each one is growing at the expense of the status quo type deployments. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Stu, if the market's going to be, I don't say overrun with with converge, but I mean, it sounds like there's going to be a major uptake coming. Uh, I'm assuming that's as, as buying cycles kick over and as depreciation starts to be no longer a barrier to replacing some infrastructure as people keep buying CI. If I'm an infrastructure engineer, what's my skill set look like? What do I need to be doing now to get ready for converged infrastructure? Yeah, uh, great point. So, you know, we, we've been talking, gosh, for the last 10 years about what is the role of infrastructure how much do I become an IT generalist? How much do I become, you know, does the virtualization administrator take over the role? You know, heck, we didn't talk about things like unconverged infrastructure. It doesn't have to be virtualized. You can actually do bare metal. Um, and uh, while I haven't heard anybody running containers uh, on converged infrastructure, it's been a discussion point we've had in the hyperconverged world. Uh, so absolutely, uh, you know, we think you need to have some knowledge outside of a specific silo. So general cross-training across compute, storage, and even networking is really good. Uh, helping to understand that application layer a little bit more is going to be real helpful. So, you know, if if you're, uh, you know, just a typical infrastructure guy, I've seen plenty of those people helping with the security problem. Always seems to be one of those top-of-mind issues, but one that when everything else takes uh, takes up your day-to-day life, it gets pushed down the road that maybe we can focus on security a little bit more. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can make a secure, more secure IT environment, you know, really focused to help business, uh, you know, deliver those applications faster. So uh, I'm not sure I quite answered your question, but it's, I don't know that I see infrastructure people necessarily saying that I need to become the DevOps guy. I mean, I don't know, Chris, you, you've gone down that road somewhat being from a traditional infrastructure side and spend time there. There's definitely plenty of room for growth on that space. There's a lot of different roles that could be filled in kind of the IT organization of the future. Um, If your job was, you know, racking, stacking, or doing basic configuration stuff, uh, you're definitely going to need to move up the stack or, uh, you know, try to find a new role. Well, like like with hyperconverge in our last show, converged infrastructure is a silo breaker. My thought process is, you want to get good at more than the one thing. If you're the one thing kind of person, you know, all you do is storage. You should learn something about what else is going to be running on this converged infrastructure. Uh, there'll be a storage element, but there's a, a, a virtualization element. And uh, maybe you need to get good at that if you haven't yet figured out um, some of the nuts and bolts of what, what virtualization is all about. You know, get into that um, because all of this comes together and it's interdependent now. So, understanding how traffic is flowing in and out of that block, uh, understanding what kinds of things you're going to be seeing when an application slows down, you know, that isn't just your one specialty, your, your, your storage specialty, let's say, uh, becomes more important and makes you more valuable. The thing I'll add to that, Ethan, is that these converged stacks that you'll purchase tend to come with kind of a blueprint or a, you know, user's manual that teaches you every component that's in there, how it's connected to one another, what physical and logical design they're following. So if you are very storage-centric, you can figure out exactly how they're doing FCOE to the blade chassis, how they're doing you know, regular FC to the hypervisors. You know, how, what does that look like from the virtualization stack? I think you can kind of follow the breadcrumbs to the other things that are consuming your silo to help get that understanding. And they'll 
you know, they provide a lot of educational documents around that. The, the other piece is that every one of these vendors has, you know, Cisco has DevNet, VCE has a developer forum. If you're not a developer, that's fine, but you can join up and see how to consume their APIs. You know, maybe there's some projects on GitHub where other people are writing software or some neat little scripts or something to consume their APIs. For me personally, I think understanding the APIs for these stacks, converged or, or otherwise, is a pretty big piece in understanding how to really consume anybody's stack at, at a larger scale. So that about wraps things up today. Stu, want to say thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the Data Knots. If you could plug everything about you, where people can find you, maybe not your home address and credit card number, but other that, pertinent that. social media. I hear okay. he has a huge credit line. I totally want to. <laughs> yeah, we need your number. CCV number, all that jazz. Uh, <laughs> where can people find you on the interwebs? Yeah, so I, I'm really easy to find. Stu Miniman, if you Google me, you'll find all my stuff. Uh, Twitter's is still one of the best way. I'm just Stu. Um, I, I hope I will go down as the uh, guest with the best Twitter handle ever to be on the data knot. So that's just STU on Twitter. Most of my writing goes up on uh, the Wikibon site, which is just wikibon.com. And I also uh, traveling a lot with the cube. The home for the cube is siliconangle.tv. Uh, got lots of shows going up here, just finishing up the spring tour and I'll be at VMworld, Amazon reInvent and lots more in the fall. So if there's enterprise shows going on, it's uh, chances are the cubes there and I might even be there too. So appreciate that. And thank you guys for not asking me to do any Klingon. I hate to break your, uh, burst your bubble, but I'm much more of a Star Wars guy, even though uh, that does not mean I'm opposed to the Star Trek stuff. <laughs> we, we can't all be perfect. So that, yeah. that's okay. We don't hold it against you. We do, but we don't, we don't officially. Excellent. Hey, fellow Data Knots, that's it for today's show of the Data Knots podcast. You can reach Ethan. He's at ECBanks on the Twitters or his blog, EthanCBanks.com. And myself, Chris, I'm at Chris Wall on Twitter, and my blog is WallNetwork.com. For more absolutely superb Packet Pushers content, go ahead and do that crab walk on over to PacketPushers.net to partake on the bountiful feast of podcast goodness. Mm-mm. Until then, may your server lights blink, your storage spindles spin, and your cloud continue to be white and puffy. Wait, guys, can I get my list of 37 partnerships that Cisco has with storage today? Um, it'll just take me a couple of minutes to get it. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> um,